Welcome to the third episode of Junto Club. On this episode, we figure out how to get people to like you. We talk about space because it's cool. Have have a discussion about what is consciousness and mortality that leaves everyone uncomfortable. And wrap up ranting on free speech and cancel culture. For any questions, comments, or to commiserate over your existential crises, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. This is the Junto Club. Uh, an inspira- taking inspiration from Benjamin Franklin's Junto Club, we tried to have good faith discussions about interesting topics of the day, heavily focusing on philosophy, politics, and science, so we can, uh, you know, learn more and become a little better. That's pretty good. All right. Cool. Very, very good, Matt. So, as usual, I guess, I will start with uh, Benjamin Franklin's uh, story. So, he he basically, when he was in assembly, I think he was almost like modern-day equivalent of a House member or something, or in the Senate. So, when he was when he was elected to it, uh, there's one person that was really against him. So, against his like, election to it, and then just like uh, doesn't like him, right? So instead, so Benjamin will try to figure out how to win him over, right? So usually, I guess most people would just, oh, maybe, let me let me be nice to this person, right? This guy. So what he did instead of doing that, he actually, he actually, uh, he actually uh, figured out that this person has a book, a rare book, that uh, in his collection. So Benjamin actually asked this guy for a favor to do to do him a favor now hey can i borrow the book from you right and then this guy sure and then this guy says yeah sure and then uh, after a week when after uh benjamin returned the book right and then rogan i think thank you no stuff like that and after after that this this guy became actually very nice to benjamin franklin right so the reason is that i think it was that he there's a the quote that he says that uh, something he learned that like he that has once done you a kindness will be more ready to do you another than he who you yourself have obliged, right? So, which which means that whenever if you want to win something or win someone over, right? Instead of doing try to you know do someone a favor, flatter him, you should ask the person to do you a favor. Right, so that that was that's very a little bit counterintuitive. So I I found that very interesting. Maybe a little bit more, maybe practical as well. So what do mm-hmm. what do you think? Oh, yeah. I, oh, you can go, Mike. Well, I was just gonna say initially, I sort of interpreted differently. Like I was thinking, like if you're sort of considering two different people, and one you've done a lot of nice things for, and the other one has done like a nice thing for you. I guess the thinking would be like that person who has done something nice for you already may like has the character or has some type of motivation for wanting to do nice things for you. So if they had to do something nice again, then Mm -hmm. they're more likely to do something nice for you than the person you've done. Like the person who you've done a lot of nice things for may just 
have no like may not care about doing nice things for you whereas i guess the person was done at least one good thing for you mm. has already proven that they will so essentially go with their tr- you have more faith in that person doing a nice thing than the person you've done a lot of nice things for because that you doing nice things doesn't i guess say anything about their regard for you so mm. well i have heard about this idea though i don't know if i heard it in the context of benjamin franklin but like asking a favor like isn't it's not just a way to figure out who might like you or be more amicable but it's like actually does make people like you better and i i mean there's probably some qualifications right like you don't want to ask them too many things or they'll get annoyed or anything that's like overly burdensome but something really easy like let's you know borrowing a book right is generally not a big deal but I well, feel it, like well, to be fair, this is a rare book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true. Maybe it's a rare book. But I, I feel like to some degree, asking someone for like a personal favor is like intimate in some, mm-hmm. in, like, like to some degree, right? Like that makes you feel like someone's sort of like, I don't know. It's personal. They're like coming to you for help. And I, I can see how that can sometimes, you know, shift people. If you have an let's say this guy doesn't like Benjamin Franklin. So he kind of has an adversarial perspective with him, right? Like when he talks to him or sees him, he thinks, you know, like I got to stop that guy. I don't want him to do this, blah, blah, blah. But like asking him to do a simple favor kind of flips that on the head, right? It's like, you know, like, can we work together do this in a positive light? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just rambling. That's my gut on it, but. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good point. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, it flips. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it is, right? He, he's like, you ask someone for like a 20, 25 cents and then it's easier for you to ask him for a dollar if they say yes to you know, 25 cents, right? Maybe, I don't know. And then I guess, I guess uh, maybe if Biden is listening to this, I think he should adopt this strategy and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wing, you know, Mitch McConnell over, right? So. <laughs> Uh, that's all it takes. Biden just needs to ask for Mitch's favorite book and then boom, bipartisan alignment. Well, well, first he needs to learn to Junto Club. <laughs> <laughs> another, another thing I just think of a thought, thing to talk about is, uh, is something you do with maybe cognitive uh, dissonance, right? So you have mm-hmm. like two conflict ideas in your head, right? So initially you don't like this person but this person asks you for a favor and you do this and you do the favor for this person you don't like. So somehow your brain need to consolidate, you know, kind of convince yourself why the convince yourself why did you do the favor for this person that you don't like? So I said, Oh, okay, now I, maybe I I do like this person. <laughs> so maybe I don't know. It's just theory. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I can sort of understand what you're saying. Or not even necessarily that I do like this person, but there's something innate in people that I guess, even if I don't like this person, I don't want this person not to dislike me, or I don't want this person to dislike me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I don't know, like, there is definitely, I would say, and I, Matt, the way he went, mm, like, he could be one of them. But I mean, I think there's definitely some people, me being included, that it's very hard for me to, like, be like, oh, I don't, I, like, legitimately could give a, like, a shit less, like, if this person dislikes me. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, there are definitely some people where I guess I could be like that. 
But I think if you're a people pleasing person, it's very hard. Like even if you find very little value in a person that mm-hmm. like in the, if that person asks you to do something, you're probably going to do it just so you're, you don't feel like the asshole. I think that's pretty common. I think most people generally want, prefer people to like them and aren't looking to like, I mean, obviously there are people who are like intentionally antagonistic just in their day to life, but you know, that's a minority. Most people want to be helpful and nice, at least at a superficial level. All right. Good. So speaking of, speaking of uh, getting people to like you, have you read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Professional transition there, Shu. Just saying. That's right. <laughs> exactly. No, I've heard of it. And I was actually glad when I saw you put this down in our like list because I've, I've heard of it and heard some good things, but I've never gotten around to reading it. So you can just teach us how it works so we can, uh, you know, convince sure. everyone. So can you? Uh, so, yeah. So it's by Dale Carnegie. And the book was published by uh, in the 1920s and 30s. It's one of the most popular business books. And it has a bad title, but it has very good advice in there how to be, you know, how to be, how to be a uh, likable in a way. So, Matt, can you can you read the principles, the steps? All right, I got this. There are six steps listed out by Shu. They are one: become genuinely interested in other people. Two: smile. Three: remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Five, talk in terms of the other person's interest. And six, make the person feel important and do it sincerely. Exactly. This is from, so it's not from me. It's from a book. They have, he actually listed like these mm. uh, six principles, right? So uh, what do you think? No, I mean... You know, intuitively it makes sense. And you could really wrap these up into mostly be nice and focus on the other person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but... so after I read it, and this, this book actually has a, quite a lot of impact on me because uh, before, before that, I was very bad with like small talks. I really hate like going, I hate going to parties because I don't know how to talk to people. Because I I'm I'm always like uh, hesitant going to party because I if all these people even some of the people I know right uh, but you know I still don't know like just very uh, don't know how to talk like continuously for a long, for a long time right and I, especially like talking to strangers like hey I am my my name's Hugh and what's your name and stuff like that I just I just don't know how to do it right after after reading this book I guess uh, I started to practice some of the stuff like. Uh, uh, practice some of these uh, tips, right? So one, one, one thing I started with, like, just to very simple step is just like to remember every time you meet someone, just just remember someone's name, and then and the next time you see him, just say the name again. So especially when you like go, because I, I go to Starbucks a lot, right? So um, so Starbucks need to sponsor this podcast, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I go to Starbucks a lot. So I I, I talk to some baristas. Right? So I so start from there. I try to speak, uh, try to remember the names and talk to them. And next time, and then and then also on the street, whenever I see the strangers, I would try to uh, maybe nod my head, right? And then also if sometimes maybe we are in a line, like in a line in the store somewhere, and then I'm pretty open to like maybe. Uh, say something to them right and then we start a conversation going and then 
once I started doing that, I practiced more and I became actually very, very curious about like what's curious about other people, right? As I listen to more, it kind of reinforced my curiosity. It's like, oh, these people are actually interesting if I just keep asking some of the questions, right? Dig deeper, right? So that kind of snowball into, you know, like, you know, the get basically made me a little bit better, more better and better with people, like, especially you know, when I talk to strangers, right? And so I guess to summarize it is I say all these will just come down to simple one word. Now I summarize is curious, right? Just be very curious with other person, like generally, right? That way, that's how you'll be likable, I guess. We hmm. friends influence people. So yeah, anyway. That's a good way to put it. Be curious about other people. Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that. No, I mean, there's, uh, have you heard of like StoryCore or something? Yeah. It, it, yeah. So essentially it's just like, I, I mean, I believe it's usually relatives, but I guess it could be friends or I, anyone who thinks like a person in your life has like an interesting story to share. I, I think you go to like a professional recording studio and they just essentially allow you to like interview that person in your life and they have these stories in like public domain, I guess, mm-hmm. and anyone can listen to them. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, I mean, I guess it follows sort of the same principle that like any life has stories to tell that can be interesting and meaningful for others consumption. Yeah. That's actually, that's, that's my, one of the inspirations for my other podcast called Voices of Atlanta. Right. In, like, instead of a story format, I instead of talk interviewing your family member, you know, sit down, right? You have a, I basically just go out on the street and then just talk to people of Atlanta and then ask them questions. And so, yeah, you should, you should listen to that too. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's getting all kinds of plugs in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, people, I mean, just as someone who's pretty interested in like neuroscience and psychology, I mean, I'm interested in how people function at sort of high and low levels. So, I mean, it makes sense to, I guess, try to understand people's behavior as best you can. But, yeah. I Bringing mean, up something Shu said earlier, though, he mentioned, you know, in his Starbucks example, getting to know the barista, some of whom he we went on dates with. So is this <laughs> how you pick up women as well, Shu? <laughs> no comment. <No> comment. <laughs> it could be useful. Yeah. Out of the pretense of trying to be better at speaking to people. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, speaking to people is very like just be curious, right? It's just it's sometimes, of course, uh, if someone like you, of course, someone who, I mean would go out with you. So it's very useful. So if you're gonna go date someone, dating, right? You. This this would be very very useful. This you know, just mm-hmm. instead of talking about yourself, you know, <laughs> you know, let the other person uh, talk about themselves and ask them to be curious, right? And then yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, those those six points did very much read like dating one hundred and one. Like, don't be a self obsessed ass and listen mm-hmm. to the other person. Yeah, so. yeah. So so so, read a book if you want have to have better dates, I guess. <laughs> You just got to start marketing this to incels, dude. That could be your big break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to who? Incels. What has that? 
Uh, do you, are you familiar with this term, Michael? Yes, yes, no. It's, it's uh, it's internet lingo for involuntary celibate. So, like, people who can't have, basically guys who can't have sex or get women to date them. And then they're usually angry about it and, uh, you know, occasionally uh, go on shooting rampages. Oh. Yeah. Generally oh, wow. not considered good people. Yes. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, so there, so the internet has decided, yes, that the people, like, I mean, it's a, often a term used, like, just when people go on, like, rampages about, like, often far-right ideology on different, like, reddits and those types of social medias. So. Or they'll, you know, these weird rants about how, like, women, you know, society's unfair because you know, they're not tall, so women don't want to date them, and this is, like, the greatest injustice in human history. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like bagel that. guy, remember bagel guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, hey, we famous. cannot plug, we cannot plug for bagel guy here. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Uh, any final words on this? Otherwise, now we can just move to... Alright, question. Do you think we need to read the book, or do you feel like this captures the core point well enough? Mm-hmm. It captured the core point well enough, but I feel like you should definitely read the book. Yeah, it's easy to read anyway. It definitely helps a lot. Give you a lot more examples, in-depth stuff. So, yeah. Mm. Stories. Because yeah. there's other principles as well. This is just a, a small part of it. There's other stuff. Like, like how you make other people to do stuff, right? There's, there's like seven six, seven, ten principles under that, right? So, yeah. Especially when you're moving into a business, uh, when you're working for a company, when you try to maybe lead lead other people, right? How do you make other people do stuff? So, yeah. The secret is to make, uh, make your idea, actually make, make them think that their, your idea is their idea in your way. But anyway, so that's, that's a little bit too much. Anyways, yeah, just... You yeah, ask definitely. questions and use the Socratic method. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, s- semi-related while we're talking about this, my dad's, uh, you know, like a kind of businessman salesman by trade and probably nature. I think he's like pretty good salesman. And he would always say the first thing you do is just ask what people want. And then, you know, no matter what they say, you explain how your thing answers, you know, their needs or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. First things, if you're trying to get someone to do something is figure out what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then make sure it aligns somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, trainer, I think you actually told me that, like when I started using a trainer at Georgia Tech. Like, oh, yeah. I remember, I, I went and like he's like, oh, like essentially the first thing he asked is like, oh, why did you sign up? And then like I was like, oh, like I said, my workouts have been sort of getting a little bit in a rut. Like I'm good about getting to the gym basically every day, but like I do what I enjoy doing, which is upper body and don't mix it up enough he's like and basically his response was like oh yeah every every day here you're gonna get a different workout like we're gonna do whole body like it was literally exactly what you said word for like what do you want and then like yeah we have that exactly so (laughs) Uh, yeah i'm guessing uh he's got multiple workout plans ready on the fly to be like that's what we were gonna do exactly what you just requested yeah so yeah i mean i assume it's not a amazing secret i'm guessing a lot of people who are trained in sales or in that background work with that but we're in like the stem engineer mindset so it's a little more 
I don't see it as often or brought up as often, but it's a good advice. Yeah, no, that's true. So have you have you have you that read this book? Uh no, but there's some other book. God, what was it? It was a famous book on like sales that he's recommended before. Get into yes. No, it was it's some guys. I think the name started with a Z. Oh, uh, Ziegler. Yeah, yeah, you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty famous. Yeah, that's that might be more old school, but that was his, you know, like book to learn from, I guess. Zig Ziglar. Got got to. He's pretty famous. Yeah. All right, should we get into Bezos? All right. Well, well, we got a lot of topics here, and I don't know if we're gonna cover all of them. So, you know, um, what do you all want to talk about next? I don't think the Bezos thing will go very far, but let's talk about it. Is that who? Whose topic was it? That was me. I dropped oh, that in there. I saw yeah. something. So basically, I saw something about Amazon successfully testing a new rocket engine, and they're like, "This is the engine that's going to put the first woman on the moon." And I'm like, I'm like, I didn't know Amazon was getting into space travel. And I'm like, and they're going trying to put someone back on the moon, and they're going to make it like a woman for like a PR thing. But they actually are pretty far. I saw a clip of them. They had a, um, well, just like SpaceX, they already have a rocket. That has like launched something and then like come down and landed like with a controlled burn to like do a soft landing. So they have a mm. reusable rocket. Oh, and wow. I watched the video and it was on land. It wasn't on a barge, which a barge makes things harder, but it was really smooth, like really stable. Once it got down and like stopped, it was almost unnatural how like stable and still it was in the air with a rocket. I was like, is this a real video? Am I being like tricked by CGI? I think it was legit though. So interesting is that, I mean, Blue Origin. I I know they have been. I think we talked about that before, Blue or, Blue Origin. But uh, is that why Elon Musk always saying that Bezos is just a copycat because he always just copy whatever SpaceX <laughs> does? Uh, maybe. I mean, it is clearly sharing some ideas with SpaceX. Like a lot. Uh, this is that. What do you mean? Share idea? It's exactly an idea. An idea. <laughs> it is the idea. Experts, the first first one to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and also I think uh next last time was uh I think uh Amazon bought uh Zooks, one of the auto- autonomous driving uh driving uh company. Mm-hmm. So then that's the time when like Elon was like, oh man, you just copycat. <laughs> <laughs> copycat. Pretty much. Yeah. But Amazon's got about you know. Fifty times the capital to work with to you know invest in these things. So yeah, what was it? Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was may have been asking a similar question, just in the sense of is Amazon putting sort of a woman on the moon? Is that relate? I because I saw an article about NASA trying to essentially put like a moon base in like some crater on the moon. Is that are they working with NASA or is this just totally independent? I. I don't know, but I think I think I saw something related to NASA and that mission. I didn't do like a bunch of research. Maybe next time I'll do better. How but, do you uh, put a crater in the moon? Well, no, no, no. They're putting like so they would be putting some like actually have people living like in a crater on the moon. Oh, okay. Well, actually, more exciting news. I think China just launched a lunar or something to the moon, right? Lander to the moon, and I'm gonna bring bring back some moon rocks. Oh China. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they gonna do with the moon rocks? I don't know. Just say, hey, we are back in the moon, and now it's China's turn. We'll see if 
Amazon beats China to the moon. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then cool. maybe in the future we'll have like rocket delivery packages, you know, if you really need that real fast package from like the across the coast, you know, Amazon rocket flies over, lands in your driveway, drops mm. off the package. That'd be well, service. The yeah. moon in 20 years, the moon will be an Amazon fulfillment center. <laughs> <laughs> to Mars? Yeah, maybe. Well, that's actually why they're saying they want, uh, like a base on the moon to help with, uh, getting people, like they want a base on the moon in the next 10 years. So in the following 10 years, they can use that to facilitate a mission to Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, uh, one thing that Bezos has a unique point of view is that, uh, so, so Elon Musk is SpaceX is always about going to, the, to, to Mars, right? Mm-hmm. And Bezos actually have a, uh, different view which i found interesting is that he says that we 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 don't need to go to mars all we need to do is just leaving a space station so what we need to just build space station out in the space and it's the same thing why do we there's no point of there's no need for us to go to mars basically right so i found that a little bit interesting not as copycat caddy so that's a good point i mean yeah, to some degree, since you need basically an entire station to live on Mars anyway, it's like, what are you gaining? But, you you know, Mars does have gravity, which is nice for humans because, you know, we're used to and evolved to deal with gravity. So in terms of, like, long-term living, I mean, you can do stuff with, like, space stations that spin and things, but, you know, I don't know. You know, and- there's, there's different perspectives. But, yeah, maybe you just have a floating space station that, you know, gets collects asteroids occasionally to get some resources and i don't know well that's true the asteroids part i i bet i was gonna say mars is not necessarily totally devoid of resources so yeah Yeah. but i mean no actually this is something that i've like sort of thought of a lot but like will humans like essentially like as much as we don't know how the universe is going to end and the end of the story is probably horrible and sad anyway, like, I guess it would make me feel somewhat better if we're actually able to, like, get off of Earth at least in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, getting out into the solar system or solar system galaxy universe. I mean, do you think that humans, before we meet our demise here, will actually be able to... I guess, populate other areas of the universe. Almost certainly, right? I mean, when you look at the progression of technology in the course of, like, one lifespan, like, I mean, one, people who were around the first time anyone flew got to see, you know, str- streaming live TV images of someone walking on the moon, right? It's just, like, a ridiculously absurd progression of technology. And while space travel has been kind of not really progressing as fast. I feel like a lot of the tech and science that we need to go from like a very expensive temporary mission to like a permanent thing is being developed, right? We're kind of catching up on the areas that we really need to make long-term space travel possible. Um, And we're doing it so fast. Like, yeah, it might not be in our lifetimes, probably won't be in our lifetimes, but you know, you say a few hundred years at this rate, you know, as long as climate change doesn't cause like a pseudo apocalypse where we're, everyone goes back to like living in tribes and just foraging for food. Like, I think it will be, you know, not that long relatively. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's sort of my thinking too, I guess I've heard 
arguments just about the amount of energy it would take, the amount of, like, the speed at which these massive, like, pseudo sh- like ships that carry people you know across the across different galaxies would need is just so immense compared to anything we can conceptualize now that it's unlikely just given the i i mean i guess uh this is also coming from like a pessimistic perspective like i mean people's people are very quick to say oh we'll destroy ourselves before that we can get there but i mean i sort of hope that i mean it sort of seems like it seems as you say it's like it's trending where we figure out a way to you know construct the ship and get the energy to have some type of arc i guess (laughs) yeah like well i mean i do think i think we're probably not going to destroy ourselves but we'll see about that but you know, obviously, if the thing about, like, these ships to, like, another solar system or something, like, really, realistically, at that point, it's not as much a transport as just, like, a artificial planet. Like, it has to be a self-sustained station that can, you know, have generations of humans live and survive, right? Like, that's the only way we're going anywhere else in the solar system. So, at that point, you're just sort of making your floating asteroid base that maybe we can happen to pass by some planets, you know, in a few hundreds to thousands of years later right but like you don't launch this is not something you build on earth and then launch into space this is something you build in space because the energy you're right is just enormous to like move material off earth but we have like the moon or asteroids which you can get your robotics is going to get better eventually you know we probably have robots that could mine asteroids make materials kind of automatically assemble a frame in space is pretty easy actually because there's no gravity so actually you know assuming you got the right machines that wouldn't actually take as much energy to construct large structures right and then you know you start using things like slingshots like gravity slingshots and stuff you know you slowly move it into the right places and then the gravity of the planets can help you accelerate you in certain directions things like that there's a lot of ways, clever ways to get around this. You don't brute force it by building something on Earth and trying to launch it off to, you know, the next solar system, but... Right. I always wanted to be, like, an astrophysicist before, but I figured, mm-hmm. like, robotics was more practical. Why, <laughs> so, why did you want to be an astrophysicist? But space is cool. Space <laughs> is cool. I, I also see. considered being a physicist, I guess... I mean, I got a minor in physics, but yeah, it's kind of like a really fun subject, but then you're like, what's the work you actually do? And you're like, eh, that's not as interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I thought about that too. And I, uh, it, actually, when in China, I was like in class, I was just daydreaming. I was just looking out the window. I was looking at the sky. Oh, okay. I said, oh, it'd be nice if one day, you know, I can be out there in the space, right? So that's why in high school, in the US, I tried to study i don't i guess aerospace engineering engineering mm-hmm. and i realized oh you need to be a u.s citizen and then so i was like oh let me switch to electrical engineering and but anyway so but <laughs> i'm a u.s citizen but it doesn't really <laughs> anyway so long story short uh actually all on i mean space travel sounds very very interesting i uh, to you know like science fiction but i feel like it's almost like reflects a tendency of human nature to escape the reality, right? <laughs> by so you escape the problem of like destroying Earth by just escaping to other places. It's almost like related to the human tendency to escape reality, right? You go to other places instead of staying home. 
and then and, and fixing your own stuff. Also, you always look outside instead of try to examine what's inside, right? And inside, in, inside you, be more introspective. Like examine yourself will be more, right? So I find that a little bit kind of I don't know, just just not ironic, but some uh, just something I see, right? It's like okay, it's like all hu- reflect a human tendency to escape instead of instead of travel inward to be more to to whatever uncover more that is actually maybe there's a more interesting things that inside yourself also i mean also like even though even though space is unexplored actually that's nice maybe 70 percent of the ocean on the earth are still unexplored right so maybe we should travel deep into earth explore those before we go outside right so this is this is very buddhist um but <laughs> i will say that i like this is something I uh, essentially something I thought about shows. So uh, part of the reason I guess I'm interested in understanding people and how technology can be used to facilitate sort of the understanding of people and also the upkeep of people's health and mind, etc., is I guess sort of that exact point. So I mean, space or the universe very well may be infinite. It's a very like I mean, it's literally going to take all of all of human history and existence to understand what's out there and what to do about it and etc but i guess like so i guess step 1 for me so when i think about like when i was younger and i was thinking about my life and i was thinking about whoa like look at all that's out there to explore i sort of took a step back and i was like well the time I have is very, very brief if I just focus on that. So the first thing I need to focus on is how to turn myself into a cyborg so I can live for tens of thousands of years to figure out that. So so basically, I guess the first step for me is understanding the human mind better to the point it can be preserved and individuals can be preserved. Is that why you want to work for Neuralink? Because that's what they're doing, right? Yes, exactly. Well, that, I, shoot, that's what every billionaire wants to do. Because every billionaire <laughs> is like, I have enough money to live forever, and I have 30 years left. What can I do to live forever now? So, Should have been born <laughs> like 100 years later because, uh, you know, genetic engineering's coming, but we're not yeah. quite there yet. No, I so know. When, when were you thinking about this? Were you like teenager or like younger? Um, I mean, I, I probably teenage, yeah, probably like in college when I started to like study neuroscience and uh, mortality became like a little bit like, or it became a little bit more relevant in my life. So why is that? Well, I mean, I would say death of people. I was like, I mean, I mean, my dad's death didn't happen until I was in like in Georgia. So I was 23, but I mean, I would say just like very aware i mean with like for example like when i was studying neuroscience like the first paper i read like i used to do human vision research and the first paper i read like talked about the uh studying uh cells in like macaque monkeys or something and basically they talked about they literally gave names to these two monkeys and they talked about like sticking electrodes in their brain to measure action potentials. 
And in the paper, they're like, okay, yeah. So what, after we finished running these uh, tests with electrodes in the brains, the monkeys were euthanized. And I was like, what? Like you killed the monkeys? And and I was like, so and so. Then I you guess, realized you're just a monkey in the society. That's right. And then I was like, oh my god! Like in order to understand, like in order to understand anything, uh, like death is a necessity, I guess. But. So, uh, and yeah, so I guess I was like, okay, like I, if, if these monkeys have to die for, to understand what I need to understand, then we better do it fast. So I better focus there. All right. But Neuralink is not the way forward. Cause even, even if we can scan the brain, model it, you know, accurately enough to understand all the important components, model it and, you know, simulate that to like execute a mind that's realistic it wouldn't be you it would just be a copy of you well i mean i guess you could i mean Neuralink, right has a robot that's attaching uh, uh, a robot that's essentially implanting electrodes in sort of areas of the brain to i guess get a uh, accurate and sort of whole brain reading at like incredibly fast speeds and their plan is is essentially to also have that robot be able to insert as you say like uh electrodes to write to the brain so i guess in theory that there could be some type of robotic like nanotechnology that also is used along with writing to i guess help upkeep the brain so, I mean, as neurons begin to get a little bit iffy, I mean, they're, like, in theory, a robot could, uh, I guess, take note of that. And uh, whether it's by printing replica neurons or, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it would be, but, I mean, there must be a way to, like, essentially detect based on these readings, okay, like these, this area of the brain is degrading. Like there's some type of event that's causing this to degrade. And then you could sort of replace those neurons, much like if you have a broken arm, you get a, it's reset, you get a cast, like bone regrows, that's still you. So, I mean, if I guess if you're replacing small enough areas or healing small enough areas, it's still you. So... I'm okay with that. Uh, I think you're in the wrong field, though. I feel like uh, genetic engineering is about, you know, a thousand years closer to giving us immortality than nanobots that, like, measure your neurons and fix them or print replica neurons out somehow. Because, yeah. I mean, we we already we have lines of stem cells in the lab, right, that live forever, like, that they use for, like, those – a lot of the human testings on this, like, a few lines of cells that just had a few mutations and they just replicate forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have stem cells. I mean, realist, like if we get to the point where we could inject your own stem cells, you know, modified to be like repaired, like repair your stem cells, DNAs and like re-inject them to like heal yourself. Like that's practically to immortality there. Right. I'm sure the biologists who aren't actually listening would be like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything about biology. It's obviously still far off and there's complications, but that seems much more reasonable than nanobots in your brain. 
I uh, that's a hundred percent like I, I I have equally like that is something I want to do a lot more reading on. Is, but this one, is, but this one, I think Elon Musk it was interview was talking about just talk about memory, right? Can you replay? I think he was asked like, can you replay the memory back just like recording these signals in the future, right? It's like yeah, I guess if you can if you can record a signal, you can regenerate a memory, right? So if you if but what is memory? If it's just if you you. If you are just your if memory is you, right? Then if you just store that memory in a machine, you know, the machine becomes you, right? So you don't it doesn't have to be a physical neuron, right? It could be just like computer neurons, right? So, well, that's... you can you can be basically like machine in the future, right? You can live forever as a machine, basically. Well, so I would say memory is a big part of like who you are, but I don't think that's all that it is. One and two, even if they did have everything in a machine, like I said, that's a copy of you, not you. So in a sense, you can say there's some version of me live that lives forever. And maybe that's satisfying to you, but you, the you that is experiencing like, you know, the present time and stuff, you know, that's, you don't get to live forever. It's, it's not that different from if they clone you, right? Mm. Like, and you could be it's kind of similar to that. It's like, Oh, is this clone you? And they raise it. And then let's say they neural length your memories into the clone because we'll say that's something they can do in the future. Right. You know, that clone wouldn't be you and anything it goes on to do an experience with it's like new life, you would never experience, mm. but you could say, Oh, there's a version of me that now gets to live. And if they just keep cloning you, you could say I live forever, but that's not the live forever that I would be interested in. Right. Like it's not about, I'm not like there, I'm such a gift to the world that there just needs to be some version of me forever. Cause it would be like the tragedy to humanity. It's just, I want to experience and learn more things, experience more things, you know, see what happens in the future. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, the way they talk about sort of like, Oh, you can back yourself up to your computer. It's almost like in like machine learning. If you're like, uh, training a model like you can train like so many epochs and like back up the model and like you can load different versions of that model like i guess in theory yes you could store like essentially store your brain at different times but i'm sort of on board with matt that like if you loaded one of those storages that it's not like it's just gonna oh this is me from two years ago it's like it's a copy of you from two years ago so yeah, but is that is that the same thing? Like yesterday's you is not you anymore, right? You are not. So we're constantly I, 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 dying. Yeah, is that is that what what Matt is? Are you, is that what you're saying? Uh, I mean, that's what we could be going down this path. Yeah, like when you really dig into the details of like what makes you you, the problem is there's not really an answer. Um, so yeah, so you start getting to like weird things like, are you dying every day, every minute? Like every time you go to sleep, do you die and someone else wakes up, you know, stuff like that, because you know, you're, cause, cause sometimes people will be like to solve the issue of like, how's a copy that's like identical to you in every way? Like, how's that different? And then sometimes people will be like, well, there's like a constant stream of consciousness that like evolves over time, but it's like, but you lose consciousness all the time as a human being. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, it's look, I don't have all the answers, but a machine copy of you is not you. I'll say that much with confidence. Well, if he has your past memories, almost like you waking up, 
right? And then there's another day, right? And then you just, and it's on like, almost like parallel universe of you, right? Even though it's branching out, but it's still, it's still you, your past memory, just experience something different. Right now you are doing actually, get, get, getting to actually experience something simultaneous, um, simultaneous almost in a way. Well, that's what the copy of you would experience, right? It would be experience having been you, it'd have all those memories and then suddenly waking up in this new situation, you know, a new body, a new computer, being in a computer, whatever. Um, but I mean, okay, we've talked about the teleporter problem, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, y'all want to go into that or are we going to move on to another topic? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's... I was saying let's uh let's move on. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we've dug into <laughs> we, this. We talked about that already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's a deep hole that we can really dig a lot into. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it's not an answerable question, is what I would say. But yeah. you can always hash it out. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I mean, and it's quick. Wait, why don't you just describe the quick shaban of the teleport problem? Okay. Okay. The two-minute teleport problem is basically. Well, it's basically like a teleporter. Is a teleporter actually teleport you somewhere else? Or is it like a suicide box that kills you and creates a copy of you? And one of the fun ways I've heard it is, you know, there's this like teleporter that, you know, people start, you you create teleporters and people start using them every day. And, you know, and that's just how society works. And then one day there's a problem where you go into the teleport machine and, uh, you know, it goes, but you don't end up anywhere. So they're like, oh, sorry, like there was a mistake on this end. Part of this teleporter was broken. Um, so they kind of find out what goes on. It turns out like on the other end of the teleporter, you walked out having thought you were teleported because it scanned you, um, you know, measured all of your atoms in alignment. And then the thing sent that information over and then the teleporter on the other end rebuilt you exactly as you are atom by atom. Um, you know, cause that's what this magical dice dice does. And they say the issue, the part that was broken was the part that after it scans, you kind of breaks you down and gets rid of you on this end. So, um, so they're like, oh, sorry about that. And then they like pull out a gun and it's like, we can fix this by just, you know, killing you now. <laughs> and then the you that got teleported to the other side would never know. Right. Cause it's just going to do its thing. So it's like, it, yeah, this, this little anecdotes about like, is it really teleporting you or is it copying and killing you um, <laughs> every time? And, uh, yeah, I would never step into a teleporter personally. Wow. Actually, that's, that's a lot more interesting than I expected. Yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, I guess I would step into a teleporter if they essentially just accelerate each atom across the world. <laughs> so, all right, so now we got to get into this. So, yeah, so does the teleporter copy information and do a different, but replaces it with like a new atom or does it send your atom? But does like, but does the fact that that particular atom was in you really matter? Like, does that matter, Mike? It doesn't. And atoms are indistinguishable particles anyway, right? Like, I'm pretty sure there's no, like, there's nothing in physics that can tell, like, one type of certain atom from another, right? They're indistinguishable, I believe. Physicists, professional physicists, potentially correct me. Um, Right. So you're like, that's obviously stupid. Yeah. So, but, but you, but when you start to dig into it, you're like, well, then what makes you, you specifically? And the question's not, there's no comfortable answer. No, no. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think about this far more than I should, which is why when I go to sleep, I am like, 
half the time panicked because I'm like, I'm dying right now. (laughs) (laughs) If anything, sometimes you go through it enough, like you go deep enough, and then you're like, what does death even mean if like me as a person, like this idea of me as a person doesn't really exist. Like this is all like made up. It doesn't matter. Right. Sometimes you go around and then start like relieving your anxiety, but um, well, no, that's all true. I mean, and that's why I say shoe isn't necessarily wrong. Like, I mean, as I think about like, I, I, so I took it the wrong way as in like, you met, like I need to, like when I was, I guess younger, I was like, oh, I need to figure out me and that to extend me so I can figure out the universe. I think I, instead of understanding me, it's more just meshing me in the universe or so like looking within to figure out the out. So, I mean, that's why when I said Shu's Buddhist concept was good, I mean, it's like, it's true. I mean, if you realize your, if you reach whatever their, like, enlightenment, I mean, maybe you do just disappear and become one with the universe. Hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, I think we're all going to disappear and become one with the universe, whether you reach enlightenment or not, Mike. (laughs) But look, the, 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 the moral of this story is the only type of teleporter you want to step into is one that's like a wormhole that just bends space so you can walk through it and end up somewhere else. But if it's like the Star Trek shit, don't don't touch it. Don't go in. That's right. <laughs> well, actually, the moral story is that space travel is fine. Just don't forget to look inside, you know, stay, you know, look inside as well, right? Explore what's in here right now, right? So do both. Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> Dogs are pretty happy. They have very little ability to be introspective, so. <laughs> I say ignorance is bliss. So right. maybe what you should be doing is looking at how to turn yourself into a dog. Get on that crisper gene stuff, you know? That's you don't need to do that. You just need to commit a thing, and then next life, according to Buddhism, you will be reincarnated as an animal, you know? So that's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's interesting. And I mean, that's why, so last week we talked about, uh, potentially doing, uh, like very, uh, what do you call Very localized, like lobotomies. I mean, I'm not necessarily (laughs) saying I'm not for it at this point. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you want to get out of it? Oh, no. Uh, anxiety thing. Yes, yeah. Let's be happy. Mike, Mike, this is all a bunch of fancy words to just say, I want to become an alcoholic, right? We've had (laughs) a millennia-old solution to turning off parts of your brain and relieving anxiety. All right, now next time, now we have to transition to stoicism. And I talk about last time, I talk about stoicism as a solution to, uh, you know, uh, ease your anxiety, right? So why do you have an anxiety in the first place, right? So anyway, so the correction to last week is that I think we talk about stoicism, but we kind of define it kind of not correctly because uh, I think we kind of define it, oh, it's, it's very similar to like just suck it up, right? Actually, mm-hmm. it's not a, that's the most common misconception of stoicism and the, the modern, the modern uh, almost like definition of it. It's, it's, it's a misconception. So stoicism is not about like suck it up, right? So Actually, originally it came from like some philosopher was like just lecturing outside his like porch somewhere in ancient Rome a few thousand years ago. So stoic means actually a 
porch. So it's like the philosophy of the porch, right? So it actually is, is a, basically it's a philosophy talk about like a branch of philosophy basically talk about like how to, uh, how to live a life, you know, um, how to better be virtual and all the other stuff, right? And then um, I guess giving an example is like sucking it up is like, it's more like, instead of sucking up, sucking it up, it's more like how to build resilience, right? To stress and like difficulty in your life, right? So the way that's one stoicism principle is that you need to like constantly expose yourself like, to stresses, like intentionally, right, to build these kind of muscles, right, to so you're more resilient. So, for example, like you like, try to maybe go hungry for a week or something, right? So you say, okay, I just try to build out your basically uh, stressful uh, muscles, right? And then also like maybe to live like homeless for a week or something, right? To to build this kind of resilience to hardship, right? So this, this is something that they suggest. And the other one, going back to the like anxiety thing, actually. Stoic, so stoic principle, like philosophy principle, number one is that, quote, that we don't react to events, right? We react to our judgments about them. And the judgments are kind of up to us. We can control our own judgment, right? Because we don't, we actually don't react. What it means is that we don't really actually react to the reality of the event. I react to reality. We actually, we, we, we see the reality, we form an opinion, a sometimes judgment. Then we react to the judgment or the opinion of the the reality, right? So we actually don't. There's a, there's a something in between, right? Between the reality and our reaction, but usually we kind of don't realize the in between, which is the, our own judgment of the reality, right? No, I mean that's yeah. No, no, no. I mean that at the perception being an individual thing is like, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't necessarily have a good example. I'm trying to think of one, but yeah, I feel like recently I'm be appreciating more. I mean, I guess it, especially, I mean, this is just sort of, uh, I guess the news of the day is all about just politics and it's like, as and sort of how the realities of like, like the far left and the far right are almost like distinct realities in a way. And I guess the fact that their perceptions can be so wildly different is, I guess, a testament to what you're talking about. Right. Actually, actually I have a pretty good example, right? Mike, you are very, you are very reactionary and very, and I always get, uh, uh, what do you call that? Like, just very uh, get angry whenever you see some kind of like Facebook post about socialism and liberal, your liberal left opinions about, especially like cancel culture, political correctness, right? You always got riled up very, very fast. So that is because you have a judgment about, okay, this idea is wrong. Then you react to your own, your judgment, right? So that's a, that's an example. Well, I would say so. I, w- I would say that to some extent. I mean, one. I I think the posts that were more extreme that I'd like that I would have that reaction to were very much like oh, like any like oh, we need to just tax people's wealth or tax a hundred percent over earning a certain amount of money or something like pretty pretty far to the left like that, and and I think that's because. 
not your judgment, right? Not your opinion that is actually pretty far to the left, right? Your opinion that this is your your judgment and this is a bad idea. Yes, exactly. Yes. So that's, I think, so yes, I think that's why it inspired like an immediate like anger or frustration is because yes, my, in my view, that is literally like how I perceive it is that is damaging to, damaging to society as a whole. So that's my view. Yes. But (laughs) reality is that that idea maybe is a pretty okay or good idea. Yes, the reality is that it could be a good idea. I don't, like, I don't see the merit in it. I honestly don't, but. So, so, so for, so for Mike to be a better stoic and to deal with his, like, when Mike's having anxiety thinking about his mortality at night, is he practicing stoicism by, like, thinking about that or is the issue that he needs to go put his life in like actual danger and by experiencing like real stress he won't have so much anxiety just thinking about these things on his own what would you say is like the better application of the philosophy uh no 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 story definitely talk about death a lot i'm just not there yet i'm still reading a book so (laughs) (laughs) i'm still on principle number one so stay tuned (laughs) okay i was gonna say because like how to deal with death in the future yeah death is the big one because i would say we're all pretty good about like with respect to like i guess using lighter stresses to prep you for more like difficult stresses just because like i mean for example like uh i mean we all have go to the gym relatively regularly so that's essentially like stressing our body causing uh, i mean causing small tears in the muscle to build muscle right i mean so that is it, it very much just like hurting yourself a little for gain like longer term gain in strength and obviously the phd is in a way uh i mean basically just a hurting yourself psychologically psychologically <laughs> yes, for exactly. long term gain yes exactly so the phd is putting sort of continually stressing your mental health uh to <laughs> hopefully uh help in the long term and uh yeah i mean cuz for example like when i started my job there there were times when people like said to me like oh like like that, well, that was sort of a stressful meeting or like that was a tense meeting and i'm like yeah, uh, sure. Like, and I'm like, I don't think you know what a tense meeting is. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I think like on the sort of those two fronts, I mean, I think we all do, we sort of do prep ourselves, but I think that's because like, I mean, death in a way is like the ultimate stressor, right? It's like, like, cause uh, the point of these, I guess, is like, you st- st- like you continually like in a way stretch yourself right like so you stretch yourself more and more so you don't hit hit a stressor that breaks you right but i mean death breaks everyone so i'm interested to hear about how they tell me to solve that all right stay tuned <laughs> that's all right yeah so uh, so i guess uh, one thing uh one practical thing that we can do actually to to practice Principle number one, actually, is just to uh, name, like, you see something, right, and you have a name for your usury, right? So sometimes maybe use a different word for the name, right? So 
I would say my example that came to me is some is racism, right? So I think uh, racism is a word that is very you encounter it, right? Well, you guys are white privileged males, so you probably don't encounter it. But personally, if I I see it, I I haven't really. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so I would say uh, if you like encounter racism, right? You see something or you re- you react to it, right? You it's something reality. Maybe someone says something. And then you interpret it, judge it as a uh, as a racism, right? And that's the name for it. However, racism, as I said before, I struggle with. I don't really don't like the word, right? Because it has it it puts a power differential, right? It kind of assumes that okay, someone superior to you is looking down, discriminate against you, who is the lower person. Which and that's why I don't like it, right? It, it kind of put me in a. It's not empowering, right? It put me in a almost like an inferior race in a way, right? So so that's why if to so that if I call someone racist, that means I, I almost like I feel bad because okay, what did I do? Why what what is about what, what did I do that made him look down at, at me, right? So that's very, very, very uh, discouraging in a way to your self esteem, right? So uh, one way to, to so to rename it, right? Race racism is called a rate uh I think uh so rename it to something called racial misunderstanding that I heard from Jamie Foxx. I heard an interview that he was like in, throughout his life, whenever he faced racism, he always, instead of calling it racism, he just said, oh, it's a racial misunderstanding, right? So that kind of put uh, everybody in a equal footing, right? It's not, you are not looking down on the other person. There's no superior, no inferior, it's just a misunderstanding, right? So that kind of, that renaming kind of, so you remain it as a racial misunderstanding, so that's your judgment. And when you're reacting to it, your reaction will be much healthy in a way, right? So that's, that's one example, one way to practice it, just to rename whatever you are, your, your judgment of the, the reality, right? Anyway, so. So, I, I mean, I feel like this has been, what I'm about to say has been talked about to death, but do you feel like then, stoics are sort of like the ops take an opposite approach to sort of things like trigger and content warnings or safe spaces and i know people rant about those and they're not as big of a deal as sometimes the right makes it out to be but do you feel like you know the stoics would say what you really should be focusing on is like adjusting your judgment to these you know things rather than trying to like isolate yourself from them if they upset you yeah uh you mean uh instead of like uh yeah it's like Isolate yourself. You should expose yourself to this. Oh, oh! Instead of isolating yourself to this like controversial idea, you should reframe it, like rename it, uh, have a different judgment about it, stuff like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of asking. I would say stoic. Yeah, stoic would say we have a different different definition of safe space, right? I mean, and it's for me, safe space means is just place where, like, university, where you can actually expose to different controversial ideas, right? And that is safe mm-hmm. space to me, right? Safe space is not space where you actually go and you don't just don't say anything, right? Uh, that controversial or hurt other people. Safe space is a place, it's a safe because you can go in there and have controversial ideas, debate stuff, controversial ideas, right? And then that way, it's a safe space because you're not gonna, no one's gonna get hurt, you know, by talking about these controversial ideas. So that's my definition of space, uh, uh, safe space. Also, I think Stoic will actually will encourage that because you actually expose yourself 
too controversial ideas, too so stressed, right? They stress you out emotionally, kind of in a way, right? Maybe in a safe space, but actually make you better, right? No, I mean, I agree with that, but I, I guess the safe space, I guess as it's currently defined or currently, I guess, used in more popular culture is, I mean, more toward what I think Matt was getting at, which is sort of like exclude certain ideas, right? Yeah, I think that's typically these days how it's often used, but... Anyway. No, I, but I, I hear a lot of, like, even though they're not... Like, I see people are more in the middle, right? Not extremely liberal. I mean, even I think I consider them liberal, like these, some people I hear them define those safe space, right? Yeah. Well, so there's two ways we, I mean, we could define liberal in two ways, right? There's liberal as in like just left leaning and the more left you are, the more liberal you are. But yeah. then there's like liberal, the actual like political and philosophical kind of ideas. And mm-hmm. that's separate from like leftism and like leftist who are like the socialist hate liberals. What and liberals are generally capitalists. Yeah. But, I would say, I would say in the, maybe in the definition of safe space got overran by these uh, leftists because they speak much louder, I say, in the media, uh, especially in like, New York Times. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, this is a whole different topic, but, you know, words, it's, you know, everyone knows it's not, what is it? It's not prescriptivism, but descriptivism. What's the linguistic? Do you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Words are, the meaning of words is how they're used rather than, like, what, what the origin or correct way was. It's what most, like, mm. linguists would tell you is what I've heard. So, like, saying, like, this is like the real definition of word doesn't really matter if, you know, if a word's what word means, what, how people use it basically. I right. see. I see. Well, regarding that, I guess that came to me, that to me. So you guys are all, you guys hate cancel culture, right? I'm not a fan. Yeah. For the most part, I disagree with it. I mean, I think, that basically people should be able to say what they want. And if they continually show hateful ideology, then I guess you don't support them, but I'm not necessarily in favor of like a tweet from eight years ago, basically costing people their livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. So actually I was thinking about the other days and I can't though culture actually is not bad. It's bad. is because it's overview, overviewed, almost like became abused. So it's similar to the idea of political correctness. And it's from a few years ago, and the way you define correct, political correctness, to me, I feel that's a good thing. But it became bad because it was overview, over, overused and abused by the media and other people, right? So fundamentally, I guess so culture and political correctness, they're both good things. But once it became too much, right, and then it became bad. No, well, no. And that's a, I feel like the problem is it gives random people this sort of like, in a sense, it gives them power and power associated with like righteousness. So they get to feel like, oh, I'm the righteous person, like striking down this evil person using, you know, the power of the internet or whatever. And I think that can be intoxicating to a lot of people, even, but it's not actually like moving the world forward in a good way. Often it can like sometimes, yes, it could be a good thing, but like you say, but I think it's very easy to like have people start abusing it because it feels good, right? Rather than trying to like understand a complex situation or maybe say like, hey, you know, this person said something bad in the past, but he's like, he's apologized now, he's changed his views. It's just, 
it's more satisfying to be like, he's evil. It's black and white. We're good. You know, we got to, you know, stop him. Like they've never believed anything bad in their life, you know? Hmm. Right. And I, and I mean, I think most complex problems require discussion of sensitive topics that like, and in the, I guess, see, I'm doing it now. The phrasing you use about any, uh, like whenever you consider a complex topic or any controversial topic, like in the current system, like if you don't phrase it correctly, it can cost you everything. And I think that that type of eggshell walking, like is ultimately a bad thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes sense. Now, even, yeah, I mean, even Me Too movement, movement, right? A lot of people in the Me Too movement actually came out to say, hey, we, I think we are overdoing it, right? So we don't want, we, we don't want to swim, uh, swimming back, right? Because if you swim it too far, the pendulum is swimming back, going to swing back, right? So actually, uh, I think people in the Me Too movement, actually, they realized that to a certain extent, and some of the people came out and said, hey, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> this is not, you know, different level. It's not rape, right? So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as with everything in life, uh, people like to sort of deal with things in sort of binaries like good, bad or good, evil. And uh, when I think generally speaking, there's obviously a continuum. I mean, and and when it comes to speech, I mean, yeah, there's certain speech that's like, I mean, obviously, like a uh, like what you would hear at like a Ku Klux Klan rally. Like, obviously, that's hateful. Like, you can like it's pretty much agreed upon by the vast vast majority of people. Like, yeah, it's for like it's wrong. It's like it's there's no real place for it. But at the same, t- like it's very easy when you're dealing with those types of absolute, like those types of example. It's very easy to say, see, it's like evil like that. But it's like, uh, but. At the same time, as you say, there's like levels, like humor, for example, mm. like is racial humor, does that fall in the absolutely no evil category or does that fall in in between good and yeah, evil? Depends <laughs> on the person, but if white person talk about uh, racial humor is not humor, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's what some people believe. So, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would contend that probably it's the truth. <laughs> yes I, again wait a minute what was it about uh what was it last week what did we go over which last week's show that you had a you have to use less certain language oh yeah yeah uncertain and <laughs> un, uh some kind of uncertainty you know don't use undoubtedly don't use certainty you know yes so i mean in any case yeah so i mean like obviously there's i mean hate speech that I mean, I guess the 99.999% of people would say, like, this is wrong. But how do you police that in a way? Like, I mean, is it just, do we just rule out, like, the most extreme cases? Like, I mean, if people are reading from, like, Mein Kampf, like, okay, we say, like, okay, like, that's banned. But then you're immediately going to get people saying, well, that's not far enough, or... You're going to get people, depending on how you're policing that, like, okay, it's like, you can't use, like, these words in this specific order. Does that really accomplish anything? Because it's like, I mean, you I just, guess. You or, use mob, 
mob police, right? Crowd police. Mob justice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, then you have the current culture we live in. So, <laughs> so I mean, so as soon as someone tweets something that they were intending to be a joke or something, like, language is just tricky. I mean, it's like, how do you police language? Like, Sam Morrill, who's a comedian, actually had sort of a funny joke. So he... So he he said, uh, hate speech, I, I'm misquoting him, I'm sure, but it was something to the effect of, like, hate speech is like a tomato. Uh, tomatoes are fruits, but if you include them in fruit salad, they fuck everything else up, or they fuck up the salad or something. So it's like hate speech is, you know, I mean, hate speech is still, or, or uh, he compared hate speech, I guess, is uh, hate speech is, is to free speech is what tomato is to fruit. Uh, so it's okay. like, yeah, I, I blew the joke, but yeah. <laughs> but hey, because I, I was trying to. Bad joke. <laughs> I know, I should have, I should have just looked it up, but I tried to recall it from memory. But uh, why he seems to touch a nerve for you, Nightness? No, no. Why is that? You seem to very care about this issue. Now, did you say something controversial in the future that you're afraid that's going to surface in the future? In the past, I mean, you... not really. But I mean, I mean, no. I mean, but it's just it's more just like like I've never really written or done anything with respect to like race or gender or anything that was overly controversial. But it's you were more just thinking about like, it. It's it, well, it's just more like I've seen. I mean, I like humor. And it's like, I like dark humor. And I think that sort of the the exorcism of that society wants to do, I think is, to be fair, just idiotic. I mean, like, I think humor in a way is honestly better about, ha- like, enabling difficult discussions than almost anything else. All right. I think that's a... We're going to end with the mic rant today. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Any yes. thoughts to that, Matt? You have anything to add to that? Mm-hmm. Well, going back kind of one topic, back to what started this with the stoicism and talking about your judgment to things, right? You said, you said, don't call it racism, call it racial misunderstanding. And I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, I won't call like, that's a really good idea. Cause I won't call people socialist. I'll just call them intellectually challenged. And then we kind of like reframe the discussion around like the real issue here, you know? Yes. Lack of education. That's... <laughs> All right. That was my yeah. joke that I'd wanted to say. That's pretty good. Uh, that's Perfect. Pretty good. Um, no, it, yeah. Mike's, Mike's really into the whole comedy thing. So I, I guess I get why he's, this is a issue that touches him personally. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I mean, I think comedy, like in an ideal world, like if you're trying to be funny or even, even if you're trying to just like fix problems, just like difficult problems, societal problems, like problems where people interface with each other, then I think people need to, I guess do whatever reframing as stoicism would say that they need to do to sort of deal with like not give language the power it seems to have at this point. Cause I mean, language, like I agree language has power and words can hurt, et cetera. But, but I mean the fact that it's, it's not, I don't, I don't want 
language to not have power. I just want people to be able to use the power it has to discuss and have like discuss and problem solve together. And I feel like if you give it too much power, like to the point where you're actually like, like language is dangerous and people are like intellectually unable to make assessments for themselves because certain languages is just so dangerous. I mean, I think that that, that is dangerous in itself. I mean, I think, I, I just think people need to be able to not censor themselves and like, just like talk openly enough. And it's like, if they're, if their ideas are hateful and come from a place of malice, then I think, I hope that the vast majority of people are able to see that. So, so I don't know if we're trying to wrap up, but so maybe if, if this is getting too much into other things, just tell me, but like in general, I agree with you that like, I don't think in an ideal world, I don't think it's a problem if people say stupid, hateful things. Cause I think more people recognize why it's bad, why it's wrong and will respond. And most people are reasonable. And when you see someone reasonable discussing with someone who's an idiot, you know, who's hateful. Like, I think generally when I, these discussions happen, it pushes people towards the right way. Like I'm generally pro, you know, things like, you know, debating these topics, but I mean, and we've seen it a lot in modern times, especially with like echo chambers where there's not that debate. There's just, you know, one side kind of indoctrinating some people who aren't actually like looking at the other side. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm still like very, pro free speech i'm not saying like we got to ban that stuff but it do does seem to be having some issues here where there isn't that other side debate and you know so you don't get the two sides and uh i understand that and in general free speech is good but you could probably fairly argue that in some instances allowing people to say this stuff like did harm because they were able to convince a certain number of people you know things that of are course. like objectively bad and well, it's nazi problem, germany yeah I mean, nazi but, germany yeah. there you go that's a good yeah. example yeah but no uh no i agree with that like i don't know why when you were talking i was just thinking it like it's so random but i guess the uh what do you call it like uh free speech echo chambers are like the monopolies of speech <laughs> that is not a bad example. Yeah. So it's like, I guess like if you're in an echo chamber, like, and basically you're going to just get like the same crap recycled and like essentially the, I guess the uh, quality of what's coming out of it is going to go down. And in monopolies, like that's why you don't want monopolies because there's no competition and the quality of the product goes down. So, so so the open market, so when people take the, say, they'll like talk about like the open marketplace of ideas, you're taking that like more literally. You're I'm like, taking Let's that more literally. Let's extend this analogy. You cannot have a monopoly. I feel like if you don't, look, conservatives, if you don't at least import 10% liberals for every like post, you know, you're going to be shut down. Same for liberals. Like get with it. <laughs> yes, that's right. No, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily bad. Cause I mean, I just, I do see it. It's like. On both sides, I mean, I see just terrible, like, terrible, terrible ideas. And it's just like, in a way, it's like, it gets to the, like, I don't even know if I have a good example right now. But in a way, like, on both sides, you'll see an idea that's almost, like, accepted as fact. On, what, like, on a conservative side or a liberal side or a left side. And, uh, 
Yeah, and it's like it's and it's like you're accepting this as fact when it's just like absolutely not true. <laughs> yeah, that is okay, a problem. Okay, okay my natural, okay, natural interpretation of the reality. So yes, yes, that's yes. I I need we to change. <laughs> Again, perception is an individual experience, so maybe yeah, my perception is just uh, totally wrong. Kendo Club.